I know that Christmas can be a mixed time for people. For some, it's a difficult time. You go through the firsts or you, there may be strain or difficulty in a family or it may bring back bad memories and difficult memories. And I understand that. And Cindy and I have been through some of that. There have been times when we had to face the firsts and times when we were just by ourselves way out in Indiana. But this year was one of the best Christmases we ever had. It was a time when the entire family came together. All of my children, all of my grandkids, all most of the time in one big house with this wonderful amount of chaos and disruption and clutter and all the rest. And I'm going to tell you, it was just absolutely thrilling. One of the reasons why it was so important that we'd gotten together like that was we began to feel that our family needed a little bit of renewal. The word you see up there. There were some signs that there was some staleness in our family interactions and our, and our family relationships. Nicole, my oldest daughter who lives in England, had been here in October for a family funeral. And my youngest granddaughter did not know Cindy and I. In fact, at the airport, I remember going to run up to her and give her a hug. Um, And all she did was turn around yelling and running back to her mom. Who's this big guy coming towards me? I don't know him. And of course, the fact that her uncle Brennan kept chasing around the house going, didn't, didn't help much. We realized we hadn't been together very much. We realized we hadn't had the opportunity to be face-to-face other than through computer. And the cousins didn't really know each other. And we began to say, you know what? We need to do whatever it's going to take to make sure that we can be together to renew those relationships. Now, there was nothing fancy about this Christmas other than maybe Nana bought more gifts than normal. But we weren't out on a cruise. We weren't in some special cabin. We, the decorations were sort of our normal decorations. The, the meals weren't anything particularly special. We went out a few times. We, we didn't do anything other than going to the Franklin Institute that was sort of out, in the ordina- out of the ordinary. But just the ordinary events of life became a means by which our family was renewed. Now, not everything was perfect. There was some bickering that would go on every so often. I I noticed particularly between spouses uh, as there would be some disagreements and things. We had some tragedy. Uh, Some of you know that I had a nephew that passed away uh, a couple days after Christmas. And last week I, I did the funeral, 58 years old. But in the midst of all of it, there was a sense of connection. There was a sense of renewal that was wonderful. I made some observations as I was looking at that. One of the observations that I realized was that these kinds of times, though periodic, they happen every so often. 
There was a little bit of it last November, a year ago, when we all went over to England. There, there have been some times that though they're periodic, they're a bit rare. I can probably count on one hand the number of times that as a family we had those kinds of activities and renewals. I came to realize, okay, we don't always have this. But when they're there, they're to be celebrated and we're to rejoice. I realized that it's not the norm and it's not sustainable. We can't eat all our meals together like we were doing. We can't spend all these days together like we were doing. Cindy and I can't keep the chaos going in our home like that anymore uh, we were going. And I noticed that though it was wonderful, it was temporary. And though it was wonderful, it couldn't be fully sustained. And at some point, we needed to kind of go back to the norms to get back to work, to get back to school, to get back to normal-sized meals around the table. But the other thing that I noticed is this, that though it was temporary, the impact is long-lasting. My granddaughter knows me. And pop-up. And we did the Eskimo kisses, and we did the goodnight kisses, and we could enjoy the relationship. My grandchildren enjoyed it. My, my grandson said to me, I'm going to miss you, pop-up. But he also said it to the dogs. So I'm not sure which one was more. <laughs> and the stories. We're going to have some great stories. If you know the boyers, you know we love to tell stories. And those are going to last. And the last thing it does is it makes me long for the next one. For more. Now, that was a wonderful time for my family. And it was a time for us to just rejoice. And I share that with you. But you know, that sense of renewal, that sense of a periodic time when some unique things are going on in the midst of our our normal activities and God just takes it and, and uses it is not only true in a family, it's also true spiritually. It's true in our spiritual lives. There are times of refreshing, times of renewal, and yes, the word is, is badly used, times of revival, when God is at work and, and something special is going on. It takes place in our individual lives. It takes place in our families. It takes place in our churches and in times in history. It's taken place culturally wide and nationwide. Something unique and something special and something renewing and reviving and revitalizing suddenly takes place. We want to talk about that over the next couple of months. We want to talk about being renewed. 
We want to talk about renewal and revival and refreshing words that are somewhat interchangeable and talk about what is it that, that God does at those times and how can we be in a place where God may choose to do that in our lives, in our church, in our culture. What does it look like? Well, as we begin that, one of the things that my family realized, and one of the things we realized spiritually as we look at our spiritual lives is this. There's always more. There's always more to be enjoyed. There's always more to to the depths of our relationships with one another and the depths of our relationship with God. There is always more there. I love C.S. Lewis, but my favorite book is the very last one, The Last Battle in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in that, C.S. Lewis describes heaven as this experience of constantly learning more and experiencing more and enjoying more. And he does it through the phrase, higher up and farther in. And each time there's a sense of, of more. There's a, there's a sense of renewal. There's a sense of revitalization. There's a sense of refreshment as we move more and more and more into the glory of who God is and the infinite nature of who God is. One of the reasons why I think that revival, renewal, refreshing fails to take place is because we've settled. The status quo is sufficient. It's enough. God's word challenges us to long for more. Now, as we look at that, one of the things we need to come to realize is this, that God uses renewal to spiritually energize his people. This concept of renewal, this concept of revival, this this thought, this theme in scripture of the idea that God revives his people, that he revives his church, he, he revives a nation. It's found all the way through scripture. And one of the things that we have this tendency to believe is that somehow our spiritual lives are linear. That we start here and we just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And then we die and go to heaven and then we explode and it's exponential. And we just keep going and going, not at all. If that's your life, come and tell me your secrets. Do you know what my spiritual life is like? Three steps forward and two steps back. Three steps forward and two steps back. God shows me something and I grab on to something and something happens in my relationship with God and I feel that sense of renewal and that sense of refreshment. And then I find, you know, a year later, two years later, Boy, I'm just back to the status quo. In fact, what we begin to realize is that our growth looks more like this. God's at work. But God uses these unique times in our lives to just expand us and revive us. 
Now, that's the theme of the next eight weeks. But I want to take that little phrase and expand it a little bit to give us a definition of what revival or renewal looks like. Because I think, especially those who have been around Christianity for a long time, we have a bad vision of what renewal or revival looks like. To us, it looks like a white circus tent with folding chairs and a pulpit up in front and a sweaty southern drawed preacher with a bad toupee screaming and yelling, um, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone with a number of altar calls and 65 verses of just as I am. It ain't that. We tend to think that maybe revival is something we can plan. It's not. We tend to think that revival is something that we bring about. It's not. Or renewal. It's not. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And to just kind of give us that overall sense of what it is, renewal is a sovereign, meaning God is in control. I can't manipulate God. I can't make God. I can't force God. It is a sovereign, unique periodic and temporary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know as conservative evangelical community church people, we're a little afraid of the Holy Spirit. But when you look at church history, when you look at the scriptures, there are times when there is a zeal and a fire among God's people that comes as a result of a refreshing unique, temporary outpouring of his spirit in his people. His people are revitalized through normal spiritual practices. It's not that we have to do something weird and strange. We don't have to put out a circus tent in the back. We don't have to have a sawdust trail. We don't have to sing 65 verses of Just As I Am. We don't have to have a revival week. What does revitalizing and renewal come through? For the preaching of the word, through prayer, through the scriptures, through worship. That's what it comes through. As God takes that in a new and fresh way and just enlivens our heart. And suddenly we read the God, we read God's word with a new passion and a new sense of, wow! Or suddenly our prayer lives, we're we're not finding our minds just wandering all over when we're trying to have that time of focused and intense prayer, but suddenly there is an intensity to it. And the impact of the preaching, the preaching isn't necessarily better. Read some of Jonathan Edwards' sermons. You'd all go to sleep. But God used them so much that the people in the pews were grabbing on because God's spirit was at work, that they were actually etching the pews because of the intensity of its impact. Our worship becomes something powerful and unique, something that I don't roll my eyes and say, oh, we got to go again. But it's through the normal things. And the result... Revival is not about evangelism, though sometimes that takes place. But it's about God's people. 
And it's demonstrated by these, and I get these from Keller. When he says nominal, that means Christians in name only are being saved. Sleepy Christians, those caught in the status quo, like all of us struggle with, are awakening to an overwhelming sense of God's love, God's presence, and God's call and purpose in their lives. We suddenly have a unique fervor to do something in in and for God's kingdom. And the non-believing world begins to be attracted to the message of the Christian community. You all know the fastest growing spiritual group in the United States, the nuns. I'm not talking about the ones that wear habits. I'm talking about the ones that say they have no or none or nothing in terms of a spiritual connection. Churches failed. How does that change? And I want to be careful because it's not something we do. But there are ways we can begin to step into places where God may choose to work. And we're going to talk a lot about this, especially next week when we look at at 2 Chronicles and the verse that's going to become the foundation of all that we do, where God is talking about renewing his people. And he says to them, if my people who are called by my name, and then he says, do these four things, humble themselves, seek my face, pray, and turn from their wicked ways. God responds to that. Always in our individual lives. And sometimes way beyond that. Now as we begin this series, we need to understand that renewal involves an ebb and flow in our spiritual lives. It's how we grow. There have been times in my life spiritually and in your life also, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, when there's just this freshness and newness about our relationship with the Lord, whether it's at the very beginning of our, of our experience with the Lord or 10 years in or 20 years in or 30 years in or 40 years in or 50 years in or, you know, whatever it may be. In churches, there are times when God just seems to be working. In some ways, if you were following through December as God was pouring out in abundance, resources through his people. That was a unique time. And you see it all the way through history and all the way through scripture. And we're going to run through these very, very quickly, but you see it in the life of Abraham. Sometimes Abraham is walking in faith in, in chapters 12 and when he's called by God and he leaves his family and he goes to, to the land that God was showing him. And then other times he just really messing it up royal when he lies about Sarah and says she's my sister. When he gets messed up with Hagar and Ishmael comes and that causes all kinds of problems. And, and other times in his life, Times when there is just this this flowing, and then times when there's an ebbing and a stagnation. The Exodus, this is going to be a little bit of what we look at in a few moments. 
particularly the passage that Adam read this morning with the golden calf. And you see this people who had just seen God and heard him shake the mountain and and all that was going on. And he parted the Red Sea and he did all these things and he delivered them from Egypt and now they're making a golden calf. God says something's wrong. And God will renew them. You see it in the time of the judges. The whole idea of the book of Judges is the people are delivered by God. They, they, they follow him for a while and then they begin to become corrupt in their, their, their lives and they begin to, to, to become immoral in their lives. And God brings a time of judgment and discipline. They cry out and God delivers them again. And you see that all the way through the book of Judges. The period of the kings. When you read through, and this is what we're going to really look at over the next several weeks, as much of our time is going to be spent in, in Second Chronicles, which is the chronicle, the story of the kings of the northern and the southern kingdom of, of Israel and Judah. And when you read through and you just look at the kings of Judah, you see Rehoboam is bad. You see Abijam, bad. You see Asa, good. You see Jehoshaphat, good. You see Jehoram, bad. You say you see Azaziah, bad. You see Athaliah, bad. You see, and there's bad and good and bad and good. And you see the people going through these times of refreshment. And then these times of stagnation. You see it in the time of the return of the nation to Israel. Eric's going to preach on two books that I love, Haggai and Zechariah. I know you had your devotions in them this morning where God says you've lost sight of the work. Be renewed. You see it in the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Ephesus, where God comes and says, you know, you've lost your first love. Ephesus, a church every one of us might have wanted to be a part of. They, They had the teaching. They had the worship teams. They had... All of those things, and God says, you know what? You need a renewal and a refreshing. There are so many other churches that are there. In fact, out of the seven churches that are mentioned, five of them need renewal. Pergamum has become antinomian. They, they become immoral in their, their actions. They, they follow the culture around them. God comes and says, you need a renewal. We can talk about Thyatira and the corruption that their leaders had led them to. The struggle and the difficulty and God coming and saying, be renewed. We can look and talk about Sardis who, like those in Haggai and Zechariah, they lost sight of their purpose. Beloved, our purpose is not to make more money. Our purpose is not to, 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 you know, advance in our careers. Our purpose is not to have a bigger house. And those are okay things. But what's the first purpose? To seek first what? The kingdom of God. Seek God. And then we could talk about Laodicea. That was neither hot nor cold. They become indifferent. 
God says we need to do something. You see it in history. We're going to run through these real quick. The Reformation period from uh, about 1537 to about 1650, something like that, where God just worked and through Martin Luther and through John Calvin and through Zwingli and through all of these guys, God brought a change among his people. You can talk about the Great Awakening, 1734 to to 1840. There's sort of different periods in there where people like like Jonathan Edwards and and George Whitfield and the Wesleys and the Zinzendorf and the group that came out of the Moravians and all of that, and God used them. And suddenly, across the entire nation, there was a renewal and a refreshment. The Businessmen's Revival in 1857 to 1858, where suddenly businessmen in New York started gathering together for prayer meetings. Just prayer. And God brought about a revival that was astounding. You can read all of these in history. We can read about the Welsh Revival that then came to the United States and how it just enlivened God's people. The Azusa Street Revival, this was the Pentecostal one, where in a Pentecostal church, all of a sudden, God started this revival. And yes, there were some excesses that that existed, and I don't necessarily agree with their theology, but God was at work. We could talk about the Jesus Movement. Oh, I remember this one. I remember this one very well. Back in 68 to 74 about promise keepers. Started out with about 4,000 men and grew to over a million. Hundreds of thousands of men came to know Christ as their Savior. Hundreds of thousands of men committed their lives anew. We can talk about the revivals in South Korea. Some of the biggest churches in the world are found, do you know where? South Korea. You talk about China. That 50 years ago, it was estimated that there were maybe about 4 million believers in China. Now it's over 50 million. Oh, that's interesting. And we can talk about what's going on among the Islamists. If you read some of the publications that are going out, there is a revival going on among those who used to be followers of Muhammad in places like Iran and Iraq, North Africa. God suddenly sweeps in. And God's people are renewed and revived. Now, that ebb and flow, here's the reality. Staleness is a constant struggle in our spiritual lives. You know that and I know that. It becomes status quo. It becomes the norm. It becomes, oh, we're going to church again. Oh, we're singing that song again. And as we look at we say, you know, I long for more. I want more. 
And staleness can come through a number of different ways. Sometimes that staleness comes through disobedience and rebellion, like in Exodus and Judges, like in the churches in Revelation who had chosen immorality and and disobedience. Sometimes it comes through that. And if you're involved in rebelling against God and thumbing your nose at God, I guarantee you there's staleness in your spiritual life. I guarantee. Sometimes staleness just comes because we're absorbed into the the culture and the mindset and the, the worldview of the world. We begin to think like the world thinks. That somehow those false gods of the world are really the gods that will bring us joy and satisfaction and and hope and certainty. And we pursue the power and the beauty and the popularity and the, the wealth and all of those things. And when we follow a false god, I guarantee you there's staleness. But sometimes... Like with my family, it's just the busyness and reality of our world. We, we forget, we, we lose sight of the wonder of our relationship with God. We lose sight of the amazing work God is doing. We lose sight of the wonder of God and things become stale. And then God works. And renewal or the flow comes through the normal elements of spiritual growth that are uniquely enlivened by the Spirit. We don't need anything special. We don't need special songs and special services and special tents and special whatever. We need to be about what God has called us. But there's one thing that's very important. I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Of reading God's word and preaching and worshiping and all of those things. When we want God to renew us. What is most important is this. And Gene will talk about it in three weeks. It's prayer. You see, the reality of our lives is this. Renewal flows from our prayerful response to a spiritual dissatisfaction. We look into our lives and we say, it's not all I want. There's a disquiet in our hearts, in our, in our souls. We, we say, Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I want to understand you more. Lord, I want to experience you more. Lord, I want to know you more. drives us to say, God, I am fervently praying that you will move, that you will work, that you will renew. You see, we often sense something is missing in our in our spiritual lives, in our families, in our churches, in our culture, in our nation. We look into our lives and we say, Lord, I just don't have that passion. God, your word just doesn't seem to open up like it once did. God, that sense of prayer and connection with you, Lord, it's just not there. 
And oh, Lord, I long for it. Maybe it's in our families. Maybe it's in our church. God, I wish there was a sense of renewal and revival in our church, we say to ourselves. I wish we longed to gather. I wish we longed to pray. I wish we longed to celebrate and rejoice who God is. And God, I just don't sense it the way I want it. How about our culture? You look at our culture, and we've gone upside down. Where at the award ceremonies last week, one of the actresses held up her golden statue, call it an idol, proclaimed how glad she was to have killed her unborn child in order to gain that golden idol. Something's wrong. Our body politic, where there is no comedy, there's no common ground, there's no ability for us to work together, and we, we, every, anyone that disagrees is automatically immoral and disgusting. You say, God, something is wrong. Something is wrong in here, in here, and out. And we long for more than this status quo. The passage that Adam read is an amazing passage. The people had just committed the sin with the golden calf. And I love Aaron's excuse. Well, they just gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire and out popped the golden calf. And God brought judgment to the nation, discipline. But then you read this. God says to the people, I will send an angel before you and drive out, and Adam, you did great. The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you that promise. I'm going to take you into the land and it's going to be yours. But I'm not going to be with you. You won't sense that closeness and intimacy with the Lord. I will not be with you. That's part of the struggle we feel. God, where are you in my own life? God, where are you in our church? God, where are you in our culture? God, where are you in our nation? God, yes, we can have good things. You know, my investments have gone through the roof. I'm so thankful for that. You know, my my family comes together and we have a great Christmas. But God, without you, it's worthless. And when the people heard that, when they realized they would have all the blessing But without the blesser, they were distressed. The blessing is not enough, Lord. We want you. Paul says it this way. When he talks about the fact that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and and the, the suffering of his death 
And he goes, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I don't settle. God, it's not enough. Forgetting what is behind, forgetting all the great times in the past, not in the sense of I don't think about them, but Lord, that's not all there is. I strain towards what is ahead. I press onward towards the goal to win the prize of this this outcalling of God, this special recognition. And all who are mature understand that. Beloved, in our spiritual lives, in the spiritual life of our church, of our nation, of of our culture, there should be a sense in which it's never enough. And then what do we do? We cry out to God to act in his sovereign will, in his sovereign timing, in his sovereign ways. We say, God, please work. That's what you see Moses doing in in verse 12 of Exodus 33 when he cries out to God and says, God, please don't leave us. And God says, I will be with you, singular Moses. And God says, Lord, that's not enough. I want you to be with your people. And finally, in response to his prayer, God says, okay, I will do all that you've asked. Do you feel a disquiet? Do you feel that in your soul, my spiritual life is not all I want it to be? Do you look at who we are as a congregation and as a church and Christendom as a whole and say, God, there's so much more. Do you look at our culture and our country and say, God, you got to do something. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. If there's any sense of that disquiet in your life, God is calling you to pray. To call out. To be fervent in asking God to work. And here's what I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee it'll have impact on your life. And God may choose to use it beyond anything you can imagine. God, renew us. Revive us. Father, thank you for the examples we find in Scripture. And we would ask, Lord, that you would renew us. It begins with a relationship with you through faith in your son. And as we do each Sunday, we invite any who are uncertain on that to come and to know more, to begin that walk, to have that first love. Father, many of us here, most of us here, have been walking with you many for a long time. And Lord, we long for more. Allow your spirit to draw us, to convict us, to motivate us to pray that you would renew and refresh. And we will give you all the glory and the honor for what you will do. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.